The other day, I was wandering along at Rabbit Island, and, uh, you know, just minding my own business, and I just, uh, I was praying for a friend. So I've got this friend in, uh, in the United States, um, and I, uh, I had the same thing with them. I, I pulled him and his wife out of a conference 12 years ago, prophesied over them, and now they've planted this church. So just to give you context, I visited their church uh, in October. During the Sunday meeting, there were nine public deliverances. So there's a lot of that going on. They have an increasing number of uh, crutches and disused uh, prosthetics and wristbands and knee braces and stuff just all over, hung all over the front of their building. Um, and so I was walking along the beach and I was praying for this couple. And uh, the weird thing went through my mind. It felt like the Lord said this phrase, a shotgun and a sniper rifle. I don't know how God speaks to you. He often speaks to me in an abstract way. He says something to get my attention, and then I have to sort of like, right, what was that? A shotgun and a sniper rifle. And so as I kept walking, it, he seemed to be saying that prophecy, and I'm talking in general, the perspective of, like this year I've been all over New Zealand, and so this is a generalization. It's not specific to one place. Prophecy has been like a shotgun. A shotgun fires many projectiles, and a lot of them miss, but only a few of them hit. And that's what I feel like prophecy has been like. A lot of projectiles fired, a uh, few hit the target, but most of them don't. And deliverance has been like a sniper rifle. Someone manifests a demon, all our focus is on that person, we cast the demon out. And by the way, dem a demons being cast out, deliverance is going to become a far more uh, a normal part of church gatherings, um, and not just church gatherings. So deliverance was the sniper rifle, prophecy was the shotgun. And I was thinking, okay, right, got it. I've worked out what God's saying. And then he said, I'm going to flip it. So prophecy would be the sniper rifle, accurate, detailed, sharp, fiery, and hitting the target like we've never known. No one would be able to hide from it. It reminded me of um, the king of Syria uh, had this issue where every move he tried to make, this is in 2 Kings, every move he tried to make, he was thwarted by uh, the king of Israel. And he was looking, he was saying, who's the betrayer? Who is the leak in our midst? And, uh, and one of his servants came to him and said, look, there's no leak. And one, uh, 2 Kings 6.12, there is no, uh, no betrayer, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So this, this pro pro prophecy is going to be pruned and it's going to become like a sniper rifle. And deliverance is going to become like a shotgun. Multiple deliverances happening at once. He seemed to be saying that we are to get ready for mass deliverance that would clear an entire congregation of demons in one go. Even public spaces with a word. Uh, Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Matthew 8.16, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He cast out the spirits with a word. And so we're going to have, there is actually going to be mass deliverance. It's going to be mass deliverance in public places. But prophecy is going to stop being this wishy-washy, half-sentimental, fleshy, you know, it's going to become this very sharp, very accurate thing. Okay. 
Here's a familiar Bible verse. You ready? This is what uh, this is what the Lord gave me to preach about today. Are you ready? Or do you, do you need me to tell some jokes? Because most of you don't know me. I, I, you know, tell jokes, show family pictures. Just one joke. Uh, I haven't got one. <laughs> 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Um, this is the story of when the prophet Samuel went to the house of Jesse to anoint a new king. You remember this. And you remember the story. Samuel looks at the big one. And he's like, wow, this has got to be the one. Why did he do that? Because remember the incumbent. What was the incumbent king's name at that time? And what, does, what do we know about his stature? He stood head and shoulders above the rest. So, so king tall, there was an association. And so the Lord, so Samuel looks and he says, wow, look at this big guy. And the Lord says, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. And he said this, the Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So the prophet Samuel made a mistake. He judged by outward appearance and wound up having the interesting experience, I'm sure, of being publicly corrected by the Lord. This verse is very, very familiar. How many of you have heard this verse before? Very familiar verse. Honestly, though, I really don't think we've learned what it means. Again, traveling all over New Zealand, I don't reckon we've figured this out yet. Let, let me give you an example. I was visiting a particular church, not this year, uh, another church, another year, another, not this church, not this year, another church in another year. And I was in this church, and it was one of those churches that had the most amazing audiovisual rig. They had the most amazing sound. They had the most amazing worship. It was like being live in the highest quality worship MP3, MP4 that you'd ever been in. You know, you're like, wow. And I was just in there, and I was, I was like, wow. Wow. I was just getting blown away. I was like, wow, this is amazing. This sounds amazing. This is, this is amazing. Look at that screen. Look at everything. And then I just heard this whisper. I felt like the Lord said, do you want to see it how I see it? And I was like, sure, of course I do. And suddenly how I saw it was the people were still wearing all their label clothes, and the sound system and the projection was all still just as it was. But all of a sudden, they looked like uh, victims of a famine. They, they all had very skinny limbs, and some of them had distended bellies, and they were all looking like they were the victims of a famine. And I said, Lord, what am I seeing? He said, there is a famine of the word of the Lord here. Then I want to tell you about another church that I've been to, and I've actually been to a few like this. So I call that one Famine Church. And you don't want to be in a famine, right? We want to not have a famine of the word of the Lord. We don't want to live on a diet of empty sentimentality. We want to hear and live. It's by hearing God's voice that we live, Matthew 4.4. The other one that I want to refer to, and there's a few of these around the place, it's Sugar Rush Church. All right, Sugar Rush Church. Sugar Rush Church is the church where Oh, there's an exciting vibe. There's a, there's a human momentum. A, a whisper goes out around the city. Oh, that one's the hot spot. Have you ever come across anything like that? Because the Christian grapevine works very well to identify the Sugar Rush Church. Now, here's something that tends to happen in Sugar Rush Churches to prophetic people or people who want to be prophetic is they get quite excited and they want to prophesy, but they start doing these sugar rush prophecies. 
So someone has a word. So let's pick on Nikita because she's in the front row. Someone has a word for Nikita. I just see the hand of the Lord on your life. I believe that's a correct word. I do see the hand of the Lord on your life. But someone else is like, I see both hands of the Lord on your life. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, both hands of the Lord are on your life and you're sitting on his knee. You know, and it just gets more and more and more and more. And we wind up with all the sugar rush. You're going to be a... You're, you're, Everyone is going to be the next Billy Graham. Everyone is going to be the next Reinhard Bonnke. Everyone is going to be on a stage with a microphone in front of tens of thousands, even though only a certain group of people are gifted that way and multiple people are gifted to do other things. And we wind up with the sugar rush thing going on and we burn people. I remember we had a young fellow who came into our church. This was when I was a youth pastor. Never seen him before. He came in wearing basketball clothes. And I'd never seen him before. He was, a, he was a young Māori fella, and he came and in the back. And while I'm preaching, I start getting really distracted. I had a word for him, and it was a, it was a genuine word. And I know I, I won't say the word, but I'll tell you how I knew it was genuine. The word that I had for him was the exact interpretation of his Māori name. So I had this word for him, and I said, hey, you. And I yelled it out to him. And there were two parts of the word. One was the interpretation in English of his first name. The second was the interpretation of his surname. And so he's sitting there, just come from basketball, and he's like, what is happening? And he becomes, he gets born again pretty dramatically. But what we did from then on is everyone was so excited by that, we actually drowned him in sugar rush prophesying and burnt him out. Now, the story's not over for that young man, but right now he can't go to church because he's just fed up with it. And there's a bunch of that around. I've been on the receiving end of Sugar Rush Prophecy. I had a gentleman sit with me in a cafe, <laughs> and he said, I, I don't even know how to say it. He's, he said, the plumb line for the nation is in your hand. And I'm just sitting there, and I was looking at him, and I said, What? He says, yes, you have the plumb line. You are the plumb line. And I'm like, oh, dude, you just, I said, you've got to stop, mate. You're just, you're, you're nuts. And I said, I'll pay for the coffee, but I'm leaving, and you've got to stop this stuff. I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to be the plumb line. I'm just trying to survive being the pastor of a church and traveling. I'm not trying to be the plumb line for the nation. We get this, this sugar rush thing going on. And listen to these verses. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober. Be vigilant. That doesn't mean be joyless and miserable. Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. Notice that, whom he may. He can't just devour who he wants. He's got to find a way in. Or this one, Romans 12, 3. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. What is sober judgment? It's not thinking too highly nor too lowly. It's, it's not pride nor false humility. It's just like, you know, like for me, sober judgment is this. You know, you know the parable of the talents, one, two, and five talents? I feel like the two-talent man. Honestly, I see people and I'm like, wow, there's five talents. And I see others, and I, I don't mean to sound like I'm being judgmental, but I'm like, I think I'm entrusted with more than you, but I think I'm entrusted with less than you, and that's got to be okay with us. Sober judgment. You see, this is important. If we attribute growth to our leaders, we will blame them when the church gets pruned. 
1 Corinthians 3 verse 7 says this, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God makes it grow. If we attribute growth to our leaders, we will blame them for the pruning. This church and all that God will do here and all that God has done here must endure. So you need to be sober and you need to be humble and you need to be simple and flexible and powerful and enduring and joyful and honest because the church landscape is littered with the wreckage of hotspot sugar rush churches. And I'm not saying you're a sugar rush church, but I'm saying probably in the next 12 months, a whisper's gonna start going around Nelson, oh, Aspire's the hotspot. Can I tell you, we have been the hotspot in Tauranga. Nearly killed us. Because all these people came and it was like, oh, it's so amazing what you're doing. Look at all this growth. And I knew it wasn't me. And so then when we got pruned, oh boy, I went from being like the archangel something to the devil's second cousin. <laughs> Let me tell you this. Have you ever had that thing where you were, um, you were asleep, but not quite? You know, that sort of that in-between. I was at a conference a few years ago, and I was in that in-between place, and I had this dream. And in the dream, the Lord said to me, we were in the city of Auckland. He says, how many churches are there in Auckland? And I was kind of trying to do the math. I said, oh, I don't know, six, seven hundred? And immediately I felt him say to me, there are two. And I was like, no, no, that can't be the right answer. There's either the number of local congregations, which will be in the hundreds, or there's one. How can there be two? His answer was this. There is the church, and there's what I call my church. And here's how he differentiated them for me. One, in a, one is an organization with its eyes on the people. The other is a bride with her eyes on the bridegroom. One measures success by outward appearance and people's approval. The other looks at the heart and prioritizes the approval of bridegroom King Jesus. One stores up treasure for itself, and the other, like Mary of Bethany, pours all she has on the feet of Jesus. Turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 4. We're going to try and do this nice and quick. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 4 says this. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day, everyone say day, the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in that darkness, so that this day, everyone say day, should not overtake you as a thief. Remember what I just said to you about two churches? This passage seems to have two churches in it too. They and you. Now, I want you to think for a moment. I want you to think about the future. What is the single biggest event in all of what will happen in the years, decades, or however long there is to come? What is the single biggest event that will take place? COVID 2.0, lockdowns, conspiracies, the rise of the Antichrist, 
None of that. The single biggest thing, the single biggest event, I would even suggest in earth's history, period, is the return of Jesus Christ, the capital D, Day of the Lord. Keep that in mind. They, so you've got the two churches here, they and you. And listen, I'm not saying they as someone out there and you as you in here, because you might be they. And they might be you. And if I go any further, it gets complicated. <laughs> we all need to look at this and go, I don't want to be they, I want to be you. What are they saying? They're saying peace and safety. They're saying all is well. Don't worry, we're back to normal. It's amazing how often you hear that around New Zealand. Oh, isn't it good? We're back to normal now. I go, really, why? Was normal really that good? Were we winning the nation hand over fist when things were normal? They're saying things like this, nothing to worry about. Everything's just going to keep getting better and better and better and better until we've made the world so wonderful that Jesus can't help but return to the earth that we have created for him. Don't get me started about seven mountains. Everything, all is well. Settle back into selfish, comfortable, lukewarmness. And this is what it says. Sorry, just getting a bit, you right? Get there? Okay. In the midst of that, that he refers to as darkness, it says sudden, unexpected destruction comes upon them. That's the they church. But he says you, the you church, is not in that darkness of deceit. The you church knows that there is a day of the Lord coming. The you church knows that it will come as a thief in the night, catching many unawares. But the you church is awake and alert and aware so that that day will not overtake them like a thief in the night. Because the you church is a little bit like two interesting characters in Luke chapter 2, Anna and Simeon. Two people that were in the temple. Now I want you to think, this temple in Jerusalem would have been, would have been a very large building with many people and much noise and hustle and bustle. There would have been children being dedicated on the eighth day. There would have been offerings. There were sheep that were you know, part of those offerings. There were doves that were part of those offerings. There would have been bleating and squawking and, and, and hustle and bustle. But in Luke chapter 2, both Anna and Simeon, in the middle of the hustle and bustle, found one particular eight-day-old child who was the king of the universe. In the midst of everything that was going on, they had eyes to find Jesus in the midst of it all. You know what I think that is? I think that's a picture of the prophetic church. I think that's a picture of the prophetic church that's not caught up in the hustle and bustle, but the prophetic church like Anna and Simeon who found him in the midst of the noise and the activity. Now turn over to Revelation 22. Revelation 22 verse 17 says this, the spirit of and the bride say, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. 
Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Now, I reckon there's two things going on here. Firstly, the spirit and the bride saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. The church filled with the Holy Spirit saying, Lord Jesus, come. But at the same time, it's also an invitation to all who thirst, come. The invitation is this, he is coming, come. To all who desire, come. Either way, whether it's Lord Jesus, come, return, or to the thirsty and to any who desire, come. This is the primary prophetic issue that should be burning in the heart of every prophetic person in New Zealand. This should be burning in the heart of every prophetic church. This should be at the forefront of what our prophets are saying to us, and yet you seldom hear about it. You were just singing before. I, I wrote it down. You were singing over and over again, your glorious day. Isaiah 4.2, in that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. In what day? The day that he splits the sky and returns to the earth. Notice this, the passage goes on in verse 20 and says, he who testifies of these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Who's that? Who's testifying there? It's the king who is coming. He says, surely I'm coming quickly. And then it says, amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. This come Lord Jesus is Maranatha. It's more than Lord come and fill our meeting. It's Maranatha, King Jesus, Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace, split the sky and return to the earth. It's an ultimate statement from the church saying, Lord, come. So you have this contrast. The church is saying peace and safety. But the bride is saying, come. I love preaching about this stuff. And I've got into all sorts of trouble preaching about this stuff. No joke, I was sitting in one church and I, had, I was there as a speaker and I had this message the Lord had given me about the return of Christ. And I'm sitting there and then out of the blue, the pastor said, turns to me and says, I'm not, he didn't know what I was going to preach about. He said, I'm not having anyone preaching that end times in my church. That's what he said. And I'm sitting there going, oh. <laughs> and so I'm like, Lord, what should I do? He says, carry on. So I did. And the pastor got a fright. His church gave a standing ovation. They gave a standing ovation as I declared that the king would return. I was in a, one of those big new life youth camps a few years ago, you know, the storm camps. And I was there and they, they had, man, they had, they had a sound rig that made it sound like the world was ending. You know, like, like, you know, when you were standing there, like when you were praying for people on the altar, you could feel the bass hitting you in the back of the legs. It was fantastic. But you know, you know what those camps are like. There's lots of hype and and on the Saturday night, I'm sitting down during the worship, and I said, Lord, what do you want me to speak to them about? He says, carry on, I'm coming. And then there's all the hype. Who's ready for the word? Ah! You know, and let's welcome. Ah! You know, you know, it's all go. 
And so I get up and I stand in front of them, and with a voice like this, I say, how many of you have never heard anything about the return of Jesus? These are new life kids. 90% of them put their hand up. I said, how do you feel about this statement? And I said it just like this. He said, I believe, I said, I believe you've got a shot at being alive when the Son of God tears open the sky. You could have heard a pin drop. And then it erupted into about 20 minutes of spontaneous yelling and clapping and cheering and stamping. There were actually young people running around the room. Why? Deep calls to deep. He's coming. This must be our primary issue, our primary focus. Come, Lord Jesus. You know, the other thing I've noticed, sometimes you talk about this, not here, obviously. It would be in another church somewhere else. But people... (laughs) You talk about the people come up to you after and say, well, I just, you know, that was a good message, but I, I really don't want the Lord to come because whatever follows next is an idol. Whatever comes next is an idol. Anything that we want more than the Lord is an idol, right? Now, I'm not talking about becoming those weirdos that want to store up guns and bombs and baked beans and hide in the hills and pray, get us out of here, evacuation <laughs> prayers. I'm not talking about some sorry, sappy bunch hiding in the hills. Oh, Jesus, come and get us out. I'm talking about those that will stand firm, secure, filled with peace. Jesus said when these things begin to happen, the things around the return, he says, he says, stand firm, let nothing move you. Stand up, lift up your heads, your redemption draws near. So the church is saying peace and safety, but the bride is saying come. But how many of you know that the book of Revelation has these 21 things in it called the seals, trumpets, and bowls? Now, the seals, trumpets, and bowls are not exactly easy reading. I'm not going to go into them today. I did that to our church a couple of weeks ago, and everyone's sort of like, oh, 20 20 of those events are catastrophic. And listen to me, they are written and will take place before the Lord returns. No avoiding it. They are written. It's in the book of Revelation. Woe to anyone who takes away or adds to that book, remember? They're written. They're going to happen. And the bride knows about these and still says, come. Why? Because she wants the Lord more than she wants her comfort or her idols. This is the bride made ready, the bride equally yoked, the bride loving the king like the king loves her. This is what Jesus calls my church. How many of you have ever done a really long haul flight? I don't know how long your longest is. My personal record is 15 hours and 21 minutes from takeoff to landing. On an Air New Zealand Boeing 787 from Houston, Texas to Auckland, New Zealand with a headwind. When you're sitting in the airport, you know that you're in the terminal and there's those plastic chairs and there's a big glass window and the nose of that long tube. When you're looking at that tube, you're not thinking, wow, I can't wait to get on board that plane. You're looking at that plane and going, you are a necessary evil to get me to where I want to (laughs) go. You're not looking and going, oh, I can't wait 15 hours sitting on my backside with my legs up down there. You're not thinking that. You're thinking, but you're still in the terminal. If they say, the flight is delayed, you're like, no, come on, let's get on with it. Not because you want to get on the plane, because you want to get to where you're going. This is the only way I can explain the bride looking at the, at the future and saying, seals, trumpets and bowls, bring them on because we want King Jesus. And at the same time, so you've got this bride and she's saying, Lord Jesus, come. 
but there's also this booming declaration. Is anybody thirsty? Come. Does anybody desire? Come. It's both ways. It's prophecy this way. Come. We know you're coming. Return. And it's prophecy that way. He is coming. Come. There is living water. There is an answer to your longing. There is living water that will satisfy the thirst of your heart in a way that no house you can live in will satisfy, no car, no amount of money, no iPhone, whatever number they get up to. None of that can satisfy the longing of your heart. So while they are saying peace and safety, messages, songs, prayers, all about the comfort of the people. Did you feel good about the worship? It's irrelevant. It wasn't for you. You see what I'm saying? Like, I don't mean to sound like I'm being harsh or mean, but that's what it's all about. So while the they church is saying peace and safety, the you church is saying, Lord Jesus, Great and glorious King, you are the longing of my heart. You are the desire. You are my one focus. Break the seals. Sound the trumpets. Pour out the bowls. Come. In a podcast I listened to during the lockdown, a guy said this. He says, the church in the West, we've got the hallelujah down, but we lost Maranatha. Hallelujah. But we lost Maranatha. Lord, come. Okay, here's one last thing. You got time for one more thing? Matthew 25, 1 through 14. The parable of the wise and foolish virgins. How many of you remember this parable? Okay. Verse 1 through 5. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any extra oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. So what's the difference? You got five foolish. They had a lamp. Lamp speaking of like the light, a testimony, a shining out of their lives. They were believers. Five foolish. They had a light but no extra oil. The five wise, they had lamps too, and they had extra oil. They were ready. They were ready to endure to the end. But it says this. At that time, this is what the kingdom of heaven will like. What, what time? What comes straight before Matthew 25? Matthew 24. Wars, famines, earthquakes, pestilences. The, 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 the things going on on the earth that precede the king returning. And at that time, it says all them fell asleep. All of them. That's disastrous. That is absolutely disturbing and catastrophic. Jesus says all of them, 100%, the wise and the foolish, falling asleep. Is that the end of the story? Look at verse 13. In the same parable, he says, even though he said they all fall asleep, he says, therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So hang on a minute. If everyone's going to fall asleep, if it's just inevitable, we might as well shut up shop. We might as well shut it all down and just go sit on the beach and drowse and hope 
but it turns out okay. But verse 13, he says, keep watch. Why would he say keep watch? It must be possible to stay awake. It must not be inevitable that everybody falls asleep. It must be possible to stay awake. It can't be that sleepiness is the end of the story. Revelation 16, 15, look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked. And Not everyone's going to sleep. They, not again referring to another church out there, the they church, which might be you, and you might be they, and anyway, I get confused if I go any further with that. It must be possible to stay awake. So here's what we need to do. We need to stay awake and remain clothed. What might that mean? I think it means, I think it, it means two things. Luke 24, 49. You will be clothed with power from on high. By the power of the Holy Spirit, friends, we are clothed with power from on high. So let's live our lives always aware of that. Not just aware of it on Sunday. Right, it's time to go to church. Put on the power. Always. We get trained in our spiritual gifts. They are not just for Sunday. They work very well in cafes, I find. I was in a cafe with my mate, Oscar. He's a pastor in our city, and he's quite used to me doing this now. We meet every Thursday, and I was in this cafe. And I'm sitting with Oscar in this cafe, and we, we got there, and it's normally quite empty on a Thursday, but the place was full. And we're kind of like, what are all these people doing in our cafe? <laughs> so we couldn't sit at our usual seat. And we're sitting there on, on, a, on a very inferior seat. <laughs> and I'm here, and he's there, and we've got a table. And this other young couple come, and they sit here at this seat. And so we're sitting here, and the moment they sit down, the Lord says, I want you to tell them this. Tell them my blessing is on their marriage, and I'm going to roll out the red carpet of my plans for their life from this day on. And I'm like, do you ever, do you ever go, really, do I have to do that? You know, because I'm sitting here, I've got my coffee, I'm having fellowship, and you know, like, I, I, I don't know about you, I just, I, I just, I, I'm not, I, I don't want to look weird in a cafe. So I'm sitting there, and it just keeps going round and around and around and around, and they get their eggs benedict, so I say, well, Lord, I'll just leave there. I don't want to interrupt their eggs benedict. They get to the end of their eggs benedict, and I'm like, right, I've got to do it. So I come over, and I kneel down beside them. You know, which, this is weird, isn't it? You know, like, they're sitting there having eggs, their leftovers of eggs, Benedict. I don't know them from Adam and Eve, and I just say to them, hey, this is going to sound really weird. And, and by the looks on their face, they're going, we're way past weird. I said this, I said, Lord Jesus wants you to know that his blessing is on your marriage, and he's going to roll out the red carpet of his plans for your life from this day forward. The girl immediately starts weeping, and the guy looks at me like he wants to punch me, because I yeah, made the girl cry or something. And I, I said to them, I said, I didn't even know. They didn't have rings on. I said, are you married? He said, we got married yesterday. <laughs> spiritual gifts work really well outside of church meetings. In fact, I think that's their primary purpose. So stay clothed. Stay clothed with power from on high. Holy Spirit is not limited to certain meetings when certain speakers or certain this, that, or the other things happening. We are, stay clothed with power from on high. I remember when, uh, when our kids were little and we'd come to Nelson, we'd be walking down the main street in Richmond, and you know, it's the old style, you know, with the, the, the canopies out over the footpath, and they're all different levels. If I had one of my children on my, on, on my, um, 
you know, on my shoulders, I'm walking down, I'm very mindful of the fact that their little head is there. I'm mindful that this little person is on my shoulders because you don't want to be striding along here, thunk, you know, you don't want to hear that. So live mindful of the clothing with power from on high. Live mindful of the fact you don't want Holy Spirit repellents in your life. What you look at on the internet, the way that you speak, the way that you gossip or don't gossip, you don't want to have these repellents in your life. Prayerlessness is a Holy Spirit repellent. Ignoring the Word of God is a Holy Spirit repellent. Criticism and backbiting and gossip, holy, you want to get rid of that stuff. You want to live mindful of the fact that you're clothed. So stay clothed. And then the second thing, and this is what I'm going to finish with, the armor of God. The helmet of salvation. The breastplate of righteousness the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel of the readiness, of, uh, the, the readiness to share the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. Has it ever occurred to you that the armor of God is actually the character and nature of Jesus, that every part is a bit of him? Stay clothed. Stay battle ready. A lot of Christians come to church and they sit there in church and go, yeah. And then they walk out the door and they go, and they fall asleep or they go into a daze. Stay battle ready. Don't sit there like this. Well, oh, yeah, that, that was a pretty good service. Don't do this. Well, I don't know about that preacher you brought in from Todong. If he preached a better message, I'd be more on fire. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Even if, we had, even if we had today a combination of Billy Graham, the Archangel Gabriel, and Reinhard Bonnke, you'd still be lukewarm <laughs> because the responsibility is yours to steward what God's given you. So stay clothed, stay awake. You are not in that darkness of deceit. You know what? There is a king coming. You know what I believe will happen between now and the day that he comes? Worldwide turmoil will increase. There are people that are going, oh, praise God, the pandemic's over. That's as foolish as a woman that had a contraction going, oh, thank goodness that's over. There are more coming, friends. There are more coming. At the same time, against this backdrop of turmoil, there will be, there is one more revival coming. It's Matthew 24, 14. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the earth as a testimony to every nation, and then the end shall come. And the word then is, uh, the, end, the word end is goal. There's one more revival coming. It's not going to be one that lasts, that pops up and lasts for six months and then dies out. It's not going to be one that pops up and is on social media for a little while and then fizzles out. It's going to blaze away until the sky goes dark and a trumpet sounds and a man with a face seven times brighter than the sun, eyes of blue fire, white hair, riding on a horse with a tattoo, king of kings and lord of lords, splits the sky and returns. And it says, an angel, not even an archangel, an angel, just some old angel puts the devil in chains and binds him up for a thousand years where he belongs. And from that point on, it says, there'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying, no more death, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. This is the hope of the church. We must be awake.